dear fellow redeemed, saints of God. We consider briefly our first reading from the uh, Revelation to St. John, chapter 7. And as we begin, there's one church. And I know that you passed um, multiple church buildings on the way here, no matter where you came from, because that's just the nature of this town. But there's one church. And I know that you have passed and are familiar with multiple other denominations, but there's one church. John gives us the picture in Revelation. That great multitude that no one can count with palm branches in their hands, whose robes have been washed for them in the blood of the Lamb, and they are gathered around the throne of God, singing power and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and praise are His forever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. There is one church. And gathered in that image before the throne of God, you can recognize a few faces. There's Adam and Eve, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca. You can recognize a few other faces. There is um, Stephen and the Apostle Paul, Jan Hus, burned at the stake, Martin Luther. You can recognize a few faces, faces that were near and dear to you, of a parent, a grandparent, other beloved ones who have fallen asleep in Jesus. There's one church with two aspects, the church triumphant and the church militant. The church triumphant, those who are gathered in the throne room of God himself, those who are holding the palm branch of victory, just like the uh, invitation palm branches we have in our back corner. Those who are gathered before the throne of God, who no longer have to fight against sin, death, and the devil, who no longer are beset with temptation in this world, who no longer have to deal with questions and cries and wondering of where is the justice, where is the good, and what is the purpose. There's one church with two aspects, and you and I are still in the church militant. Not that we take up physical weapons in order to coerce conversions as Charlemagne did, but that you and I do hold the sword of the Spirit. That it was entrusted into your hands there when you were baptized, there you were clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and there God gave you a sword and said, Dear friend, follow me. Follow me during the entire time of your life in this church militant, whether it is 77 years or more or less. Follow me. Because there is one church. There's one church with the two aspects. Those who are in heaven are united in faith with those who are here on earth. But that church here on earth is, is um, sometimes seen and sometimes not. That if there is one church, and there is only one church, those are the triumphant and the militant, how are we to know where God's church is? How are we to know who are the saints of God? Because that term saint, it's not a title conferred by a, a person. It's not a title earned by your action. But it is a status named over you, pronounced over you by God himself. For all the saints who from their labors rest, we sing. 
And the verse keeps going, we give you praise, O Jesus, for the grace that you displayed in their lives. We give thanks to you, and your name be praised forever and ever. And you look around and you see a gathering of saints who are still working at it, who are not yet resting from their labors, who are still in the church militant. But how do you know where to find the church? Because you passed, you know, multiple church buildings, visible church buildings, you are acquainted with different church denominations. And so it really comes down to, um, it comes down to what is the promise of God? That God promises great faith through word and sacrament. And so you and I cannot read hearts, we cannot see the invisible faith within somebody's heart, but we trust that the church is there whenever God's people are gathered around his word and sacraments. Whenever God's people, whenever people are gathered together around the word that is rightly preached and the sacraments properly administered, as Jesus intended, as channels of his grace to his people, his church. Because there is one church, visible and invisible. And the invisible church makes itself visible by its confession of faith that we gather here today, and the one who has created this church, who has brought you and made you a member, has incorporated you into this church, that one calls out a confession from you, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Because there's one church, visible, invisible. The invisible makes itself visible. And so we sing on this, this All Saints Sunday, um, which if you have, um, remember back to the Red Hymnal, which wasn't that long ago, would typically be the equivalent of uh, Saints Triumphant Sunday. But for over a millennia, over a millennium, I suppose, uh, the Christian Church has celebrated November 1st as All Saints Day. They had all sorts of days for saints and other festivals and celebrations throughout the rest of the church year, but they said, you know what? What about the, the nameless, faceless grandmother who isn't written down in history? What about the steady and simple and straightforward proclamation and confession that these people made during their lives and their names aren't recorded for us in Scripture? And their names aren't recorded for us in anywhere but the, the simple memories of those who live on after them. The memories of those who can say, I remember my, my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather. I might have a picture of him, but that's about it. And on this, um, this All Saints Day is a day when we pause and God gives us a glimpse of what heaven is like. And you notice that the focus here is not on what they have done or what they haven't but the fact that God himself brought a confession through them after making them his own. That God himself had conferred that status of righteous on them, had given them the robe of Christ's righteousness. And then during the course of their lives, when they were still members of the church militant, they did their work. They did their work of speaking and proclaiming, of silently witnessing, of faithfully carrying out their vocations as parents, as children, as spouses, and they did their work, and the world would say, well, but what else? And Jesus flips that around. He holds up the beautiful and the godly things that Christians do, 
as the most beautiful things in his sight. And the praise just keeps rolling and roaring. The praise just keeps rolling and roaring like, like a tidal wave to say, look at what this God has done. He has bought people who are not his own. He has made them his own through his blood. He has washed them clean. He has sanctified and set them apart in holy baptism. And throughout the time of their lives, when the rest of the world was wondering, what's the purpose? Where's the justice? When the rest of the world was wondering, how do I get what I want out of this life? This Christian church, these Christian people, said, I have one goal above all else, to confess Jesus. Because the 50, 60, or 70 years that God has given to me here is, is only the smallest fraction of a dot on the timeline of eternity. It's only the smallest fraction of time of my entire life and during the time of my life here that I have the ability to speak up for my Lord, to talk about what this Jesus has done for me, to witness to him, to fight against temptation. I have the opportunity to serve in the church militant. Not as a military that takes up arms, at least not at this point in Christian history. But as Christians who stand together and say, this is what we believe. And this, this God has higher standards for you than you could ever realize or recognize. But you, do you know what? That his grace is so far beyond, so far beyond anything you could ever imagine. You've got to come here. What does that look like? To make that confession of faith during your time in the church militant. Because that's what Jesus is encouraging you. What does it look like? It might be as simple as, I'll pick you up for church, we'll go to the late service so you can sleep in because it's not time change weekend anymore. And then I'll take you out for breakfast afterward. Or brunch. What does it look like? to confess the faith during your life, your time in the church militant. Maybe it's as simple as saying, you know what, I want to be the, the best grandparent, the best parent, the best child, the best spouse that I can be. But with the Christian focus, not simply indulging them in all the things that I think that I should give to them, but with the Christian focus, to say what are the unique responsibilities that are mine as a parent, as a grandparent, as a child. What does it look like to confess the faith? To live your life with the cross on your arm? What does it look like? Well, maybe when your friend or your neighbor says, I've got cancer. Instead of just saying, um, you know, I wish, wish you the best. Follow it up with, would you like my pastor to talk to you? think of it this way. That from our perception, all we see are, are buildings and denominations and, and groups of people. And it's only the Word of God that gives us an understanding of where the justice is, where, the, where things will be set right. It's only the Word of God that gives us an understanding of the purpose of life. That whole question of where is the justice, by the way, was Psalm 149. And it's only the Word of God that gives us an understanding to those larger questions in life. That we don't see them visibly demonstrated for us. We know them by faith. 
And that we in the, the church here on earth, we live as people who are saints of God and as people who want to confess that truth. So think of it this way, in, um, in the town of Coventry, England, it's not very often that I pull up illustrations from England, but this one fit. Coventry, England, there is a cathedral that dates back to the 14th century, so 1300s. And uh, it's the Cathedral of Coventry, right? And uh, after nearly 600 years of existence, it was bombed during the, the Blitz of uh, November 1940. The Luftwaffe swooped in and bombed the entire town of Coventry numerous times. And all that was left of this, this cathedral was the outer structure. The interior was all demolished. The spire still stood. That was the part on top of the bell tower. It still stood 290 feet in the air. The structure was still there on the outside. And afterward, afterward, what they did, they cleaned out what was left. But they left it standing. They left it standing as this, this skeleton, the bones, the ruins of, of what had been there for 600 years. And when they built their new cathedral, they built it right next to the old one. But they built it in such a way that there's this, there's this gigantic glass, glass wall. They call it, um, uh, I forget what they call it, Raphael. Um, it's the western wall in this cathedral. And it, it's a glass wall that is etched with images of people from Scripture. Saints. Etched with images of saints and angels of prophets of nameless, otherwise unknown persons. And the thinking behind this was that as you would come into worship here at this new cathedral, and you saw the old cathedral all broken down, and all the efforts and all the heart of 600 years destroyed by the anger of man and war, then it makes no sense, and it seems so pointless and purposeless until you come into the sanctuary of God. And then you look out. And you look with a view through the sainthood of Scripture. You look with an image to see that, you know what, there is more going on here than simply the visible. There is the invisible church. There is the, the lives of those who had, had spent their, their entire lives building that cathedral, maintaining it, worshiping it, how many worship services were carried out over 600 years. And it would look pointless and purposeless from an outside perspective. But once you come into the presence of God, and you view it through the lens that they had built there, then it begins to make sense. You see, there's one church. In Coventry, there's actually two churches. They're side by side, and they're joined by a little passageway. Because there's one church. There's what you see. Visible. The important one is the invisible. What you don't see. The fact that through his sacraments that Jesus has conferred upon you a status, a state of being righteous. He has adopted you as his own. He has named you to be his saint. And he said, you're Christian. Here's Revelation 7. Let me just pull back the curtain. So that you see that your loved one and their devotion to their Lord of all the generations that led to you being here, that their lives were not in vain. That you are a member of God's church. Not just the idea of being some 
part of something bigger than yourself. If you want that, find a sports team. But here, here, you have the reality that Jesus has incorporated you into his body. He has made you a member of the unending procession of saints, many of whom have joined the church triumphant, moved from the church militant to the church triumphant. And this is the way John puts it. These are the ones who are coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Because of this, they are in front of the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. They will never be hungry or thirsty ever again. The sun will never beat upon them, nor will any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 